Welcome to Retirement Unlimited with Randy Barkley and Jeremiah Lee. Retirement Unlimited is an informative weekly radio program dedicated to offering factual information and sound advice for those wanting to know more about retirement planning. Proper advice depends on complete analysis of all the facts and circumstances. Information given on this program is in the nature of general financial comments and cannot be relied upon as pertaining to your specific situation. Listeners should consult their own financial advisor or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. This is to protect your assets. Randy Barkley is a California life insurance agent. California license number 0518567. Advisory services offered through Tricord Advisors Incorporated. Tricord Advisors Inc. is a registered investment advisor. Now, here's Randy Barkley and Jeremiah Lee. Welcome to Retirement Unlimited, and you're listening to Jeremiah Lee and Randy Barkley. Jeremiah and I are certified financial planners, and we come alongside of our clients as fiduciaries to help them make smart decisions about their money. Not only do we deal with investments, but Jeremiah is also an attorney and he helps our clients with legal issues such as estate planning and other related matters. If you'd like to know more about us, I would suggest that what you do is you go to our website and there's a lot of information on there that not only talks about us, but also about our company and what we do. Go to our website, which is www.retirementunlimited.com or just simply call. Our phone number is 951-684-7011. We serve the Inland Empire. Now, every week what we do is we divide our program into three parts. The first part is what we refer to as retirement update. The second part is tactical asset management. And the third one is news you can use. Now, in the first part of the program today in retirement update, what we're gonna talk about is how much debt should you take on or your child take on to go to college? You know, 55% of the people, the kids that are going to school, not only the children, the students, but also the families are going to borrow money to send their child to school. And that is not a small number. That is a fairly large number. Half are going to borrow upwards of $40,000. And 23% of the people are going to borrow over $75,000 for a student for their child to get an undergraduate degree. So Jeremiah, here's the question. How much is too much? How much is too much? This is a, a great topic I think to talk about today. And we may have different opinions on it. Of I, My children are still small. They've not yet gone to college. And Randy, your children have gone through college and kind of completed that process. And the difference between myself and you is that the cost of college was a lot different for me when my kids were going through school. That's right. Versus that probably when your children go to school. I think the same idea is, you know, trying to decide between private schools or public schools or community colleges. I mean, here in California, we are, uh, I think, privileged to have a a great community college system. Not not every state has that. And the options for a lot of kids, and I've not felt this yet, but, you know, from friends I know, the the concept that their kids get into these great schools, you know, whatever school across the country and here in California they get into this school and it seems like their dreams are on the cusp and parents want to make that happen. And they talk to their classmates. And if the classmates have, first of all, they come from a wealthy home where academically they're capable and they're talking about going to an Ivy League, Ivy League school or a private school, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a difficult number to get to for the average household. It, it's a huge number. And you know, knowing that some of these schools you know, are $40,000, if not a more, year. a year. Uh, for for tuition and you know at times you have sometimes that includes room and board sometimes you got to add that on top of it, um, and then you got to come up how to figure that and that's one kid you have two kids you have and three no child kids. and I mean no parent wants to disappoint their child particularly yeah. if their child is a good child they've yeah. worked hard they've got good grades 
in some cases graduating with a with a over a over a 4.0 yeah they've taken advanced placement courses yeah you want to come alongside them to make you know have them get the best education they can get yeah and get in that school and so often you know some some families have planned for this you know they right. have 529s they have savings accounts they know it's going to be expensive they're they're getting towards that. others don't but whether they've saved or not often there's still um, an amount of money that they have to decide how much should the parent take on and how much should the the student take on and one thing that we've been talking about is uh, an article we read with it was kind of painting as a predatory type structure which I, I think I have some issues with but but generally the idea that these parents if they can't afford it and the student can't afford it and they can't get you know, other loans and scholarships there's parent loans that the federal government will allow and, and I am I am completely opposed to parent plus loans I I think it is a trap and it has such such punitive uh, mm. consequences to the borrower the, the parent and the student doesn't take on any of those responsibilities I'm sure you probably have maybe in a different opinion that no it's it's interesting trying to figure these out because you know you have a family in a situation where they can't afford it what do you do you can't get right. more loans and the parent plus program you know comes in and allows, I mean, I'm sure there's some limits somewhere, but generally it's, it's nearly unlimited amount of funds you can borrow and the parents take on this debt and, and the kid graduates. And if, if they then have a normal job, that, that's a tough burden for the parents to pay off. And the kids, of course, in the moment will say, I'll help, I'll pay him off. But how many parents want to straddle their kid with yeah. additional payments? In the I, first... I, I've been in meetings with parents and children, actually the student, and I'm the Debbie Downer in the room hmm. because I'm telling the student, in in kind of a kind way, but but pretty clear, you're you're really are taking advantage of your ch of your parents' generosity here. Yep. You don't realize how much damage is going to be done to their retirement and their way of life if they try to pay for this cost of education yep. for you. And, and parents, I think in the same moment, I, I said I'm not I'm not experienced this yet, so maybe, maybe my perspective will change. But I think you have to have a strong um, moment with their children to say we can afford this much right knowing that the parents may be stuck with that debt and right. may have to pay it off during their own retirement and their own time if, if they've done the planning work and they know what they could afford you know that, that's a maybe a hard conversation but it's a real conversation versus the um, you know kind of keeping your head in the clouds we'll make it work we'll figure it out right and later the parents find themselves straddled with significant debt that, that changes so the earlier retirement. the conversation the better yeah I mean I I, I would say if you have a child that you know is destined to college, is going to go to higher education, and who's excelling in school, then that as early as freshman, sophomore year in high school is not too early in my mind. No, yeah, to have some real conversations about what options are, are out there. And, um, you know, I, my parents, I think, did a great job in this, is that they were able to say, this is what we can afford, right. and good luck. <laughs> you know, they're, they're very supportive. <laughs> but. but but, but it wasn't they gave the you idea. a limit, right? Yeah, there they wasn't. Yeah, limit. and they basically said for a state school we could pay tuition, right? And that is phenomenal. You know, that, that's hugely helpful. But there were still other things that I knew even from a younger age that I needed to come up with. And right. I mean, we've talked about this before. I mean, my my route through education is I went to community college first, then transferred into UC Berkeley, and then from there went on to law school. Was able to get a scholarship through. But law you school. worked for a couple of years from undergraduate to yeah. law school. I mean, yeah, and I worked all the way through college. Every right. year I held some sort of a job. One year I was <laughs> coaching a soccer team. Um, one year I worked at a restaurant, you know, all sorts of things to to kind of make make it work. And I don't feel my college experience was you know uh, diminished or right. or harmed by that. In fact, I th I think even the gap between undergrad and law school. I worked in San Francisco for about two years, and that was a really helpful year to get some real you know career type work experience. And then going back 
to get a graduate degree, I think I was all the more focused on, I know why I'm here and I know what I'm doing. And I think what you did, I think when looking back, I was highly impressed. I mean, you went to the school that you wanted to go to before you enrolled and said, what, what community college do you take the most graduates from? I mean, you, you really focused on talking to the dean and saying, I want to accomplish what you're wanting and coming in and, and providing that information to you. Yeah, that's right. I went to a community college, actually changed community colleges, like you said, to get into one that was a kind of a feeder to right. UC Berkeley's business program. And once I was in that, that, that college, I was in the right space. All the right you know, advisors, all the right application, and it, um, I think it really facilitated me getting in. So for, for people out there, and there's, there are so many different routes people can take to get an education. Uh, I think trade schools have such value. I think um, at times people undervalue the, the benefit of getting um, an apprentice type trade education. Right. And then going through colleges, we have community college, we have state schools, and then even just walking to a private university, even if you're gonna do four year private university, it, it's gonna come with a price tag. So yeah. to, to your yeah. earlier question, how much is too much? Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, you and I've had a lot of conversation about that, but I think it depends upon what the degree is. And we have websites that we can take our clients to, our parents to, and it gives an indication of how much income you can expect if you get a degree in engineering or your degree in so, uh, you know, social services, yeah. you know, social worker kind of things. What's going to be your starting salary? And you have to look at the net after taxes. And what can you afford to pay for yeah. a school loan? Yeah, well, how much? And that's come from the student view. How much, whatever job they're about to get, how much debt can they reasonably handle? And a rule of thumb, you know, everything in this industry, I think, takes real planning because you know, every right. person in their situation is different. But one helpful rule of thumb is to not take on more debt than your first year salary in that right. career. So for an example, an engineer may graduate being expecting to earn you know, 55 to 65,000. The debt that they take on should probably be limited to that amount. You know, right. It's a rule of thumb. So that all the rest of it should be made up by scholarships or um, you know, working and paying as you go, whatever it may be. But when they come out of school to try and keep their debt um, equal to or below what they're going to make the first year. And the idea of that is that over the next you know, 10, 15 years as they pay back the debt, those payments, the size of those payments will be reasonable for their career. I mean, it's so critical to do planning. And we have websites that we can take our clients through to determine and kind of help crunch the numbers and come up with a number that's reasonable for your child or grandchild. And if you'd like to sit down and talk with us about that, that you know, it's part of our planning. It's what we do for our clients. Give us a call at 951-684-7011. Let's build a plan together. Stay tuned for our next section. We're going to talk about tactical asset management. You know, retirement is supposed to be a secure time. Are you secure? Do you and your loved ones have the information needed to make the right decisions about retirement? You need counsel, not another salesperson, an advisor that looks out for your interest more than theirs. This is Dennis Prager, and I'd like you to call Randy Barkley, a certified financial planner who's been serving the Inland Empire for over 26 years. He's a retirement specialist who works for you on all the important and often confusing things that determine how comfortable you are in retirement. Call Randy Barkley for a free consultation and learn for yourself what I've learned he can be trusted. Randy Barkley, 888-627-8371. 888-627-8371. Or visit me, Randy Barkley, at retirementunlimited.com. Advisory services offered through Tricord Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor, clearing through TD Ameritrade, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB. AM 590, the answer. 
Welcome back. This is the section of the program that we refer to as tactical asset management. Wow, Jeremiah, this has been a roller coaster ride. What a week. The first, I see like January 1 is like the bell rang and the roller coaster took off. Yep. And it's been amazing. It's interesting. There's a lot of folks, I think, who didn't adjust portfolios before the end of the year. Last year. Last year, 2022, because of taxes. There right. are so many taxes, they want to trigger it right in the last day. And so some of that, I think people held positions through the new year. And for the first few weeks, you know, it was you know down modestly. But then we've seen the volatility just spike. And I think we... I mean, you got the virus. You got you got Putin knocking on the door of the Ukraine. We've got inflation. We've got rising interest rates. Right. We've the got Fed meetings. You know, all Fed, sorts I of mean, things. all this stuff is just kind of like on top of one another, layer yeah. upon layer upon layer, and people just can't handle the yeah. news. And so I think part of what what this is, I mean, who knows? We'll, we'll see in hindsight what it actually is. But part of this volatility is you know, we've talked about. I think it's a, a big of it's a washout. You know, people who have been holding speculative assets, you know, Bitcoin right. or some of these high flying growth stocks, they're willing to just take on the risk. They say, you know, the money's fine. I'm not going to do anything else with it. Let's just take the risk. Maybe I'll get rich overnight. And now it, you know, it's the screws are turning a little bit. I, I don't want my yeah. money at risk. It might go down. The people and, that we talked to, we started last year, and the analysts that we deal with on a continual basis, they saw the movement from momentum to growth, and mm-hmm. or I should say, from growth to the more value based. Yeah. And they moved away from momentum, like almost, frankly, almost like the mid mid next year, last yes, year. Sure, yep. So we we came in this year. Those people that have had those momentum stocks and the growth stocks, they're getting hammered because right. they didn't readjust. Well, that's coming down. And and some of it's the the wash on the the risk, the speculative, and some of it's also the unprofitable. When right. companies had high growth potential but they weren't making any money, nobody cared last year. That was great. Stock prices still went up. And some examples: one, uh, Stitch Fix. They they sell uh, clothing. <laughs> it's like an online subscription. Um, great great system, great program. About a year ago. Their stock was about $100. All right. And then today I just kind of pulled up there right around $15. And the the business, you know, of course, has had a year of, of change, but they're a business that was a, a just went public. You know, it's kind of moving forward and they don't have strong revenues yet. Rite Aid, Rite Aid is another one. You know, they've been around much longer. Long, long term, but they're competing with CVS and Walgreens and they just haven't been able to yeah, keep up. They're just not profitable. And so their stock a year ago was at 23. Today it was at right around 1050. And, and so with those, you know, the stock prices are falling dramatically, but they're not unprofitable companies currently. Right. They're not making revenues that are covering all their expenses. So people were taking a bet on them. They were holding them. Whereas in this moment of things getting kind of the rubber hitting the road, I, I think there's some washout of people who just aren't willing to take that risk. So of the of the Russell 2000, which is a lot of the smaller companies, 31% of those were unprofitable in 2021. 31 percent so 31 percent they weren't uh, making they, not only were they not making money they were losing money yeah they, they, yeah they were they weren't making enough money they were they're unprofitable in 2021 and, and so some of the i mean that doesn't explain of course all the volatility but, well, I, sugar, think but I mean the sugar daddy is cutting off the money yeah sure <laughs> yeah. right the, the free free chances free growth free money uh, i mean similar i think bitcoin is going through some of the same stuff there's a lot of people who got into bitcoin without being true believers right they just thought it was a good way to make a buck and they've seen the prices go up and it may go back up tomorrow. I mean, who knows? But it's it's come down, and I I, I feel you know again you know there's a lot going on. But one of the aspects is a little bit of a washout right. to say if you're committed, you'll stay. If you're an institutional investor, if you just love Bitcoin, if you're committed to these stocks, you're probably holding still. But people who are just kind of dabbling in it, thinking I'll make some money, when they saw five percent or whatever the, the percentage loss was, they're out. Yeah, and I think I think what we're seeing right now is that you know if you try to compete head to head with an institutional investor 
in most cases, you're going to lose. I saw, I think, I think the primary uh, chart that was kind of stark, you know, um, Kathy Wood, who has ARC yes. Innovation, has been a very strong momentum. She was all in on high tech, Bitcoin, Tesla. I mean, everything was going up and up and up. And they showed that in comparison to Berkshire Hathaway, which is almost like a log in water. It doesn't mm. move. It just stays. But the rate of return over the course of the last two years, Berkshire Hathaway now is equal to what, what um, the, been. the ARC was. Yeah. And it just shows that that steady, consistent, solid assets that are profitable, what it will come out over the long term. I mean, again, ARC, yeah, I mean, people had a lot of fun with it, but if you didn't get out at the right time or you got in at the wrong time, you're going to get hammered based on that. So yeah. that, that's part of the, the prudent investing. We, you know, we talk with right. clients on a regular basis um, that, that, you know, people have great ideas. People, you know, understand companies that they like. So I don't think we're, you know, skewed to say, you know, whatever the institutions say, that's what we want. But we kind of think through, you know, where's the economy headed? What's it doing? And we're, we're not here to get rich quick. You know, our right. clients you know, are, are not here for a quick buck. We are here for a long, long-term consistent growth that prudently grows their assets. And yeah, a lot of this stuff, um, I was even fielding calls yesterday that we're not making, you know, dramatic changes. We're, we're sitting and watching and trying to decide what we need to do, but our, the investments that we hold, we're happy with them. Right. You know, they're, they're, they're robust. And they're companies well. and their assets that we know that'll be here tomorrow. Yeah. And then again, we uh, put that together with diversification. You yeah. know, we are in literally hundreds, if not thousands of companies, depending upon how the structure of the portfolio is. And then we also build, you know, going back, planning by the numbers, we set up a, a targeted and a, we actually set up a required rate of return with our clients. So as you're approaching retirement, we set up, how much do you need to make on your portfolio in order to have your money outlive you? And of course, we, we always set out about age 100. And uh, most people kind of laugh at that. But we want to set a number out there that's far enough out in advance that we can go back and calculate what the rate of return has to be on your money in order for your money to outlive you. That to me is a very, very important thing to do, a very good strategy. Mm-hmm. You know, so planning by the numbers is, is really important in our, yep. in our and allows structure. And it allows you to stay the course in moments like this. Right. Yeah, so I mean, again, I think uh, building a structure, building something that is long lasting, something that's gonna go forever, I mean, you want a portfolio that is that provides you pension-like returns. You don't want a portfolio that is up one day and completely down the next. It's exciting, but at the same point in time, it can be very exhausting. Yeah, and, and weeks it, like this prove that. Yeah, um, sure. How many people are pulling their hair out, and how many people are are content to say, you know, I, I'm happy with what I'm doing. So I, you know, I, I slide at the uh, panic pushers, the people that are selling bonds or some other alternative to, uh, so to speak, like annuities, to step away from the marketplace. If you're smart, and this is where we come alongside of some really, really strong, some some really capable people that we provide that financial and that the investment selection for our clients. If you'd like to know more more about what we do and how we do it, uh, I would invite you to call. Our phone number is 951-684-7011. The first interview is always free, so don't feel like you're walking into something that you can't afford. Uh, we just want to sit down and get to know you and find out what your goals and your ambitions are. And then we can kind of take it from there and tell you what our thoughts are and, and determine what the next step is. Anyway, stay tuned for our next section. We're going to talk about news you can use.
Hi, this is Hugh Hewitt. Hey, if you're retired or approaching retirement, listen up. Retirement planning is critical to your financial health. And like choosing the right doctor, your financial planner must be able to understand your concerns, help you navigate through your retirement, which can be filled with uncertainty, volatility. Certified financial planner Randy Barkley has been assisting clients for 30 years by helping them understand all the information that to most of us can be overwhelming. Go to retirementunlimited.org or call Randy Barkley for a no-obligation appointment at 888-627-8371. That's 888-627-8371, retirementunlimited.org. Advisory services offered through Tricord Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor, clearing through TD Ameritrade, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB. AM 590, the answer. Welcome back. This is the section of the program that we refer to as news you can use. You know, this article caught my attention and... You know, the article just talks about the amount of fires mm-hmm. that have had. We built, we, we burnt a lot of acreage yeah. uh, over this last year, but half of it was in California. Mm-hmm. California has been hammered. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it is because, you know, we're building more into uh, brush areas and in the, in the woods and open areas where they're, you know, we didn't have those, you know, yep. 50 years ago. But and, and how we used to manage forests, you know, there's been a lot of complaint that we haven't allowed fires to to naturally Rome, right? Um, but we have houses there now, so it's different. Right. But regardless of the the, the how to fix it, um, I, I think looking at your own home and kind of saying how fire safe are you? I mean, we talked a lot about, um, or the article talked a lot about fire safe materials. Right. Of uh, apparently it adds roughly twenty percent to the cost of a home, which in California is already significant. But using roof materials and siding materials that are um, fire retardant or fire resistant. So you, yeah. So if you're buying a new home. These things you want to become more cognitive of yes. when you buy a home and say, is the house built, if it's in an area that may be vulnerable to fire, is it built with materials that is going to be more fire resistant? But more importantly, most of us are not going to go rebuild our home mm. and we're not going to redo all this. So the question is, do you have adequate insurance? I mean, I'm coming back to, you know, you hear about the people from Paradise up to mm-hmm. Sonoma and Napa and you find, you know, down in San Diego, we had these fires. And, and a certain percentage of people didn't have adequate insurance. I mean, yeah. that's that's really sad. Yeah, and a lot of those communities, you know, we hope will will come back and be the thriving communities that were before. But you're right. There's going to be people who just say, I'm, I'm I don't want to deal with this. And you know, San Diego being a good example, there was um, part of the article discussed how there's been some developers who know they're in high fire areas. So it's not just the individual homes that are built differently, but one of them has a green belt surrounding the community, right. um, providing you know 100 to 200 feet or so of um, of, of no trees, you know, just a flat space, almost like a park with no trees, but it, it's there as a fire uh, buffer, uh, a defensible line for that community. And that's that's not just fire planning for the individual house, but it's also for the whole community. And the, the other things I think that are interesting is what we can do just in normal houses, is talk about screening off vents, which a lot of people have heard. The one that I had, had not heard, which I thought was really bright, was a lot of people use mulch or wood chips for uh, flower gardens, I do right. as well. But it made a comment that having those within six to ten feet of a house, it, 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 was, it was our California sun. <laughs> you know, those even if you water them, they're, they're going to dry out real quick. Sure. And you've got dry tinder right next to your house, so as embers fly over, um, you're landing in a flower bed. So really, to change that over to gravel or some other yeah, I, I cover, had a I had a conversation with your father, who's a who's a retired fire chief, and I have vents up in my attic, and I put steel wool in there mm. to keep the bees out. You know, the the pests. And he said. Do you know that steel wool burns? Mm. And I looked at him and I said, I don't, I didn't know that. He said, you want to replace that? And he told me the material. I don't remember off the top of my head, but he said, you want to put in something there that doesn't burn. Yeah. Cause he said that actually can set, get, get on fire yeah. and 
make Sorry. it worse. Yeah, no, that, that's it's good. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, as a, a fire captain here in Riverside, and he has so many um, good experiences, I think, for stuff like that. And yeah. um, it's so natural around our home. So this is really just a call for you to check out your fire insurance, as well as to do whatever you can to be just observant and protect your property. You don't want to be somebody who's standing there looking at a chimney in the mm. horizon and you're going, I don't know if my insurance is enough to replace all this. You don't want to be that person. Mm. So anyway, if you'd like to have a copy of this article, we'd be more than happy to send it out to you. Give us a call at 951-684-7011 or just simply go to our website, which is www.retirementunlimited.com. Until next week, folks, may you grow in wisdom and knowledge. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Retirement Unlimited with Randy Barkley and Jeremiah Lee. For more information about today's show or other questions regarding your retirement planning, call Randy at 951-684-7011. That's 951-684-7011. Remember, retirement planning is a process, not a product. So call Randy at 951-684-7011 or visit his website at retirementunlimited.com. And be sure to tune in next week for another edition of Retirement Unlimited. Proper advice depends on complete analysis of all the facts and circumstances. The information given on this program is in the nature of general financial comment and cannot be relied upon as pertaining to your specific situation. Listeners should consult their own financial advisor or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. This is to protect your assets. Randy Barkley is a California life insurance agent. California license number 0518567. Advisory services offered through Tricord Advisors Incorporated. Tricord Advisors, Inc. is a registered investment advisor.